Robots are great, robots are chill. Teach them to love, teach them to kill. What if we taught them to think for themselves? Let's watch a movie and find out. Now, Margot, do you do you wanna do you wanna intro this one or do you want me to intro this one? Jordan, I only want to intro the X Men. Oh, that's right. Episode. That's right. <laughs> Jordan, fuck. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Let's never have to con have this conversation again. Okay, great. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Whole Movie Podcast Botcast Edition. Botcast. Botcast. I'm your co-host, Jordan Cruciola. And I'm your other co-host, Margot Carlson. And we are not alone in the room today. We have a, as we promised, We're we have a. We're never alone because God is with us, Jordan. He, well, he's carried. That's why there's one set of footprints on the sand. Because mm, he's carrying Yeah, us. we're both on his back because he is mighty. Yeah, one on each shoulder, angel and devil. <laughs> and we're telling him to do fucked up shit. <laughs> that's a better Sorry, version. I derailed this. No, there's no. A guest here today with us. Yeah. The guest, why don't you introduce yourself? You were promised. Now fulfill the promise. Yeah. What's what's up guys? I'm the guest. Uh my name's Taylor. I don't have a special title. I'm no co-host. I'm no <laughs> angel or devil. I am I am the middle path. I am the Holy Spirit. Well, you do you are the middle path, I think. Title. I, I I complete the tripartite like <laughs> deity. Um, <laughs> We're here. We finally did it. We did it, kid. But okay, so for the purposes of podcast, uh, what are we here to discuss it? What is the special occasion, really, that brings Taylor Wilhite into the domain of the podcast? You guys, it's Blade Runner 2040 fucking nine. It's maybe my favorite movie. Um, Listen, if you guys did this episode without including me, I would have been fine, probably. But I am here to say I don't know that I'm 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 open to um, some polite, thoughtful criticism, but Mm -hmm. I will hold it against you for the rest of time. There will be tears in your eyes as As somebody listener just assume I'm crying feels basically the same about Jennifer's body. I completely understand that. Yes, this this is my Jennifer's body. Uh, We've all is, got I one. We're going to be talking about Margot's Jennifer's movie, body soon. Yes, yes. Next up, after seeing this movie, I tweeted maybe the cringiest thing I've I've ever tweeted in my entire life, which mm. was I, I don't need to get into exact, but it was just uh, <laughs> uh, like guys, you got to go see this movie. They don't make enough cool sci-fi movies anymore. <laughs> and it's not doing well at the box office. So please yeah. let me have more of these. So it, t- was, it was so... It, it was upsetting. It was upsetting when I was tweeting it. And even now looking back, I'm like, that, I shouldn't... This is embarrassing. But I stand by it, I guess. Hey, stand Taylor, by it. How much of your love for the movie is because of the type of guy that Ryan Gosling is and how you feel about that. It's listen, it's not, not a factor. (laughs) It's so many of, so many of the factors that make up me as a media consuming adult Mm -hmm. went into this movie. Okay. It's like Ryan Gosling is just that type of guy. Uh, it's, it's got like a soundtrack that's like mostly like, low wombles and then very <laughs> high-pitched like synthesized strings that no <laughs> that's real that good shit yeah it's like uh, everywhere you go is just grimy and everyone's upset like it's 
It just, that's, for some reason, that is, I'm all about it. I love anything like that. Wow, so okay. It's, every aspect of this movie is directed explicitly at me. I, it's, it's important. We all need that representation. We all need that yeah. representation in our lives. Margo, what was your initial you. reaction to 2049? So, I mean, I think that I had a similar reaction to a lot of Blade Runner fans mm-hmm. where, like, the thing about Blade Runner, the original, is that it's such a, like, cult classic, such a text of sci-fi, mm-hmm. but, like, it wasn't a huge blockbuster explosive hit when it came out. Yeah. And so going into this, I was like a true Blade Runner sequel will be like, honestly not that beloved by the fans. Sure. 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 And will mostly be like a think piece that has like, um, some complex themes that aren't fully elaborated on. Mm -hmm. And I think it succeeds at that. Um, it's a perfect sequel. Yeah, I think it's a, a successful sequel in that it wasn't very popular. Yeah. Um, and I think, like, it's... I, I walked away from it, like, I, at the time that I saw it, I was a robot scholar in college studying robots in cinema. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of feelings about things that I thought the movie f- did unsuccessfully. I was going to say failed out, but I don't think... Uh, things that I wish the movie had talked about more that... They, that the film didn't explore the way that I wanted it to. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so I was a little disappointed by that. But we'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> as as you, we Jordan? do. Um, I, find, this film? I find that um, I, I think my, actually, I think my experience of watching 2049 was kind of exactly what my experience was watching uh, Villeneuve's Dune. Where I was like, oh, vibes, man. Vibes. <laughs> Fucking yeah. vibes. Um, I, I, it was like, this is unparalleled in how gorgeous it is. Uh, I am fully in the place where I am, I am in Blade Runner Los Angeles, much like I am, I was, I, it was, I was in Blade Runner Los Angeles, exactly like I was on Arrakis that succeeded wildly. Um, and then the rest of it, I was like, sweet. And I was absolutely (laughs) fucking in love with love sylvia hoax's character uh and uh, was completely bewitched by joy anna diarmas's character and uh liked just like like you know it's similar to uh i I may have mentioned this before in in other content i've mentioned this on other pods i know uh but watching uh midsomar afterwards there was a a tweet that somebody posted that i really felt like summed up uh, my emotional experience of the movie which was that they said um they were like you know just got on a midsomar like really really appreciated it uh really well done for me it felt like it was it was a a museum object that was sitting on the other side of glass and i could appreciate it and i could observe it but it was not involved with me like i was not having Mm. i was not having a synced up emotional experience with it but i was like "Mm, yes yes um, yeah, I can see that about Midsommar. I respect yeah. this object of art. And that was very much how I felt about both uh, 2049 and and Dune. Pretty much exactly. Wow, could not disagree less. <laughs> I appreciate them as objects of art. Um, uh, but there, there isn't, a, there isn't much of an emotional access point for me in an overall, as an overall film, as much as there is with those two very specific 
uh, synthetic characters in Love and Joy. Love and Joy, Jesus. Love and Joy. <laughs> I think I, what I meant to say was could not disagree more. I actually Great. think I had the most vibrant reaction to Dune. Oh, yeah. As did Taylor. Mm-hmm. I Both of those movies to me, I because I fully understand when people are like, this is just vibes. This yeah. is like a, a three hour long tone piece. Sure, absolutely. That tone is vibrating in the frequency of Taylor's heartstrings. 100%. Yeah. Um, like when I sit in the theater, I, I saw, full disclosure, I saw 2049 I think three times in theaters. And you should have. This is a movie that should be, should have been witnessed in as large a scale as possible. It was even, it came out during the period of movie pass. So like I had free showings. I went, I, I didn't use it and I just fully paid my own money to see it at least (laughs) one of the times. And I think two of the times I may have, I may have seen it four times. I've lost count at a certain point. Um, but I saw it so many times because I was like, I'm going to sit in this fucking theater. It's going to go, bah, and I'm going to like clap my hands like a little seal. And yeah, go, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, I just, I love that. I mm-hmm. love big urban cityscapes that are just like grimy. I, I'm a huge cyberpunk guy in general. Mm-hmm. Like that entire aesthetic is like right up my alley. Mm-hmm. So like it could, it there could have been no dialogue in this movie and I could have just watched like grimy cityscapes with like neon glow on it and i for three hours and i still could have been like that was such a good time at the movies you guys oh yeah i I think i would have enjoyed it i think i would have had as as equal i think i would have had an equal emotional reaction if there had been no lines honestly (laughs) word which like to me like again it succeeds as an object of art completely so i'm like and Mm. i i am un i am I have I take no offense to the movie at feeling that way. I'm like, thank you for that nice time at the movies, Denis. Thank you for putting the money on screen. Like I see where yes. every dollar of that went, and it was well spent. And now I do wonder, Taylor, were were you engaging with the robot politics of this movie at all when you saw it, or was that not a part of your priority experience? There's no it's, right or wrong answer here. I'm just wondering. yeah. I I definitely was specific because I mean being a fan of the first Blade Runner yes. and like having read so many different takes on like, is Deckard a replicant? Is, is he not like, what's the canonical interpretation, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Obviously like I had my eye on like, what are they doing with that? And I think they did it a, a very clever, like even the first watch, I was like, they did a very clever job of like addressing what everyone wants mm-hmm. from like the original, but like not, taking necessarily a hard stance one way or the other anywhere in that Mm -hmm. but but doing their splitting off doing their own thing and coming up with their own ideas that they can actually comment on and and bring up like actual like have a message that isn't like going to step all over whatever someone loves about the first one is going to get really angry about online (laughs) if you like fuck with it yeah um so i thought that was very well done um the first like I the first watch is like vibes and then like yeah. second or third watch I was like oh this is like deeper even than I thought it was mm-hmm. and like it only gets better the more I watch it um, so yeah I definitely the like best. yeah I I enjoy engaging with like the robot politics and the it, like robot and human politics that it's like dealing with in a very interesting way mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which i'm sure i'm sure we will talk about only <laughs> yeah. more as we go into this yeah um, as we have a responsibility to on this podcast and yeah, it's sort of like the whole idea yeah margo what was your first blush response to the robots the robot well, specific, specific response to 2049 it's funny like this movie is doing a lot of different 
things with robots than the original Blade Runner mm-hmm. is. And like you have you have a um kind of a class traitor as your protagonist. Mm-hmm. You have a a replicant who we know is a replicant from the beginning, who is right. aware that he's a replicant, mm-hmm. unlike Deckard, um, whose job is to kill replicants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have his girlfriend is also a replicant, or, well, even more of a robot than a replicant. Yeah. A his hologram. Is, She's a hologram. Is, is a her, is a yeah. Samantha. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> she is. She's an OS. His girlfriend is a her. And, <laughs> and, um, and she's aware that she's a robot. And then you have um, Love, a villain character. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I mean, my experience of the movie is I... We can talk about this more. I, I think it's like... It, talk I about it. frustrated. I'll talk about it now. <laughs> I was frustrated because... I think it's a great movie. I think, like, one of my favorite things about the movie is the variation on the Voight-Kampf test mm. of the first film, where the first film... The Voight-Kampf test, of course, is essentially the Turing test, mm-hmm. where you're a hu- allegedly human person interrogating someone that passes as human in order to find out if their answers to emotionally charged questions are um, are in keeping with what a neurotypical human person would react right. to, how, how that person would answer emotionally charged questions, mm-hmm. and if their micro-expressions deviate from that and they don't pass the test, and they become exposed as replicants. Mm-hmm. There is not such a test in this version of the of the Blade Runner universe. Like, we're in a future where you can easily identify replicants based on the barcode on their eyeball. Yeah. So instead, the test that we get in the movie is this quote-unquote baseline test right. that is so much more explicitly, directly about control and oppression and is disturbing (laughs) to experience like watching I do find that I think maybe the thing that I react to most as like a movie element in 2049 is when K is having to go through the baseline test I get extremely agitated and I want it to stop performing your duties do they keep you in a little box cells cells interlinked interlinked what's it like to hold the hand of someone you love interlinked Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you long for having your heart interlinked? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you dream about being interlinked? Interlinked. What's it like to hold your child in your arms? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do you feel that there's a part of you that's missing? Interlinked. Interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Why don't you say that three times? Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. Within cells interlinked. We're done. I am way off baseline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. This test is a is a measure of whether or not a replicant who everyone is aware is a replicant, yeah. Yeah. whether or not their emotions are becoming too consuming mm-hmm. and whether or not they are deviating from the quote unquote baseline of like emotionless and like comfortable with their state as slave. Yeah. Comfortable with... Kay's yeah. job of murder mm-hmm. like if he when he goes off baseline it's because he starts to have emotional reactions to the super super charged questions he's being pe- like pelted with mm-hmm. and that that is a sign basically what his what his superior ma- madam madam <laughs> joshi lieutenant joshi madam joshi yes. says to him is like the like 
when he goes off baseline after his later baseline test in the movie, she's like, I can help you get out of the station alive, but you have 48 hours to get back on track. Surrender your gun and badge, and your next baseline test is out of my hands. You're dead. Literally, it's like if you're a replicant and you show a glimpse of emotion or a, a, a you seem to have some problem with what you're being subjected to instant death you have yeah. to die all right uh, the, uh, this one's defective guys take it out to the scrap heap well which is put, uh, i think is i think is a really fascinating aspect of love who is yeah. uh-huh. erratic and emotional yes. oh, and explosive yeah. and passionate tears in her eyes and violent constantly she's constantly she's Kristen Bell if she's between if she's outside of a three or a six on the emotional scale she's crying if she is (laughs) if she's too worked up like in a sad direction she's crying if she's too worked up in an angry direction she's crying love is quintessentially a woman in an abusive workplace who needs to go to the crying bathroom yeah (laughs) but she also is so good at like keeping it under wraps when she needs to mm. like she she only lets loose when she's like i can get away with this i'm gonna like let everything fly out because <laughs> i'm about to kill any witnesses that are here mm-hmm. so and now i'm gonna let loose but like when she needs to be professional she's like like she's always contained and like all business mm-hmm. and, and, but then like if she needs to not be business, she's like, I'm going to cut off the business engagement. Uh, mm-hmm. Please excuse me. I'm going to stop doing this hollow conference. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going to go fuck some people up with a drone. Like that's, she's, she's like so good at compartmentalizing. It actually makes, I'm so glad you bring that up. Cause we never see her subjected to a baseline test in no. the movie. But my, the question is either, is she exempt from the test yeah. and allowed to show emotion or is it just heavily implied or assumed that she is passing that baseline test perfectly every time? She is compartmentalizing, <laughs> and then when she needs to turn off that compartmentalizing, she's flying off the handle. <laughs> but her superiors don't need to know that. <laughs> she's flying off the fucking handle. Well, and her and her motivations are she is she is bound by code, but can also seemingly break her own rules, as we know from when she goes into the I don't know police department or replicant management department and she confronts Joshi and she breaks the glass in her hand and is squeezing the shards into her closing fist and she's love is Joshi is ice in her veins she's Robin Wright at her most unfuckwithable and love is losing her mind shaking with hate and she yeah. like she gives that perfect, incredible, like out of nowhere, like sing songy affect, taunting her with like You're so sure. Because he told you. Because we never lie. I'm gonna tell Mr. Wallace you try to shoot me first. So I had to kill you. Well, guess what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go fucking lie. I'm gonna tell such weird Jesus Jared Leto that you shot first, which is why I had to kill you. Right after she says, "Because we can't lie." And r- yeah. at, throughout this, you know, the movie when at various points Kay is being tested to see if he is off baseline, we see Love being only off what we can imagine is any <laughs> existing baseline, and it, she is she's clearly got exceptional status 
with Wallace, with Jared Leto's character, yes. because she's his, like, right-hand woman. But she is also, like, she is the only, and I was I was reading, like, a piece about her talking about how she is the only character in the movie, really, that expresses remorse or empathy or sadness Ooh. at the treatment of replicants. The she, only oh, one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she weeps for uh, them. She rages for them. Yes. Well, she she's the only one who like outwardly shows, but like the rest, I feel like like the the resistance are like they they show like anger. Yeah. But she's the only one who's like it's it's fucked up that these people are like just kind of dying. Yeah. But I feel I, but I feel like that plays into her scene with with Joshi where she's like, "You tiny thing." In the face of the fabulous new, your only thought is to kill it? For fear of great change? You can't hold the tide with a broom. Uh, hey, we all follow your rules that you lay on us mm-hmm. only because you hold our lives in your in your little hands. Yeah, and, yeah, but yeah. the instant that like you don't, we don't have to follow your rules. We can do whatever we want. It's just you are our slave masters. Well, and it... Right, and... Using the phrase like that I used earlier to describe Kay as a class trader isn't really fair because he is literally a slave. So like <laughs> she is another example of a character like that. She like she works for the bad guy, mm-hmm. con- like doling out the actual punishment that he asks her to do and harming like as many people as possible. She's like basically his his weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And she and she like Kay, like clearly resents that. I think the scene you're describing, Jordan, when she's like shows real remorse and regret and sorrow for replicants is in that fucked up sleeve scene. Oh God, where she's watching Jared Leto. Jesus. Yes. Where the the repli- a new replicant is born and discovered to be yet again barren because Wallace's mission is to. This is this is correct. Like his his pursuit at this moment is to get create replicants that can breed because he cannot create he cannot yeah. synthesize replicants at a pace fast enough to satisfy the demand for their slave labor. That's why he yes. needs them to reproduce, correct? Yes. Yeah, and it's like more affordable yeah. to not have to manufacture one each time. Yeah, he's like I want I want self-replicating replicants so that I can take over the galaxy. Mm-hmm. He's like what, what nine worlds? That's nothing. That is how I took us to nine new worlds. Nine. A child can count to nine on fingers. We should own the stars. Yes, sir. Yeah, and we have, and then that's, we, we have, you know, the, we have the observation bug bots that come into the room and they're like surveying everything that have been as you pointed out Margo waiting patiently in the hall um yeah. until they are <laughs> just hanging out summoned into the birthing room the replicant birthing they're room they're very polite and and we we watch um Jesus Leto uh observing his creation and realizing she's barren and she's trembling and shaking cuz she's a newborn adult and he c- cuts her open at the womb, bleeding her out to kill her. And we're watching Love just behind him look like she's losing a family member, a friend. Yeah. And knowing that she has gone through this ritual probably hundreds of times yeah. in the past. 
I also think it's a really nice detail that, like, that's the first time we see anyone, like, die around her. And from that point on, anytime love kills someone she does so by stabbing them in the abdomen yeah oh. she, she, she she does kills... to joshi exactly what yeah. wallace oh does and, and she does to the, the same thing to ryan gosling at the end as well she like stabs him in the gut is how she like goes for it mm-hmm. oh my so that's like how she knows to kill is how she has watched her daddy kill yeah people. And, and, spe- and specifically at, with ryan gosling she like stabs him in the gut and then kisses him the same way that oh. like wallace like slices the replicant and then like kisses her or whatever oh my god i never noticed that yeah it's love is such a fucking good and interesting character um well and she too it's because we have with Kay's motivations like he's very much like i'm out here doing my job and then he is motivated us in essentially at the prospect of him being the scion like of him being he he as Emily Yoshida wrote about it uh, when Vulture came out, and he the movie opens with Kay finding a dead mom in a box, and yes. then yeah. coming to think, um, maybe that's his dead mom in the box, and yeah. he in in a in a way, he is he is in some senses the child of of Rachel and Deckard because he has the memories of the child of Rachel and Deckard. Yeah. He is a surrogate child of theirs in like an odd way, but like he becomes motivated by the fact that he might be something more than he ever imagined he could be. You imagined it was you. Oh, you did. You did. We all wish it was us. That's why we believe. Versus love seems to be seems to be he is he is motivated by this sense of like maybe i'm the special boy and love is motivated by this sense of like also i'm the special girl they're like these fucked up midnight's children and we get like their battle at the end in the water the shore the encroaching sea yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah where she is absolutely rocking his shit she could kill him at any moment and doesn't and then walks away from him to go dispatch with deckard and she as she's backing away from him she just looks at him and goes i'm the best one I'm the best It's one. so, look, like the parallels, it's so AI artificial intelligence with David. Yes, yeah. Killing his, the I'm first the double one. that he has. I'm the only special one. Yeah. And you're right, Kay's whole motivation is, could it be, could I be yeah. the specialist boy? Yeah. With my own eyes, I saw her come. I dressed her in blue when it was time for her to go. It was a boy that you had. All of the replicants, their whole, the ones that we get explicit motivations from, their whole deal is, I just want to feel like someone loves me and someone treats me as a a being to be loved. And I I saw- Margot makes sad face at that. Yeah. I I saw a, a very interesting, I don't think that this is ever like explicitly brought out in the actual, like, you know, the movie itself, but in the script of the movie- I think it brings up that, like, they they address, like, Ryan Gosling says, like, oh, he must really like you. He named you love. Mm-hmm. But it's actually said in the script that that is, like, a diminutive. 
where it's not an actual name. He just like calls people like, hey, oh, can, like babe. Like whenever whenever he like says, he's like, hey, can you bring me that box, love? He's he's again. She's, she thinks that he has named him, but he hasn't. I, but that's something that I think she is only thinks like she has a name, but she doesn't. Yes. But she doesn't. Wow. Oh and my so I think that's God? something that's like only I think maybe only in like the direction of the script and not like text itself but like if if you read it through that lens it becomes even sadder Sadder, from her perspective where like she does all of this for Wallace because Wallace is the one who pays her attention and is like you are special you are better than all of these others Mm -hmm. but like she's not to him and the way that Wallace behaves in this movie leads me to like believe that interpretation because he doesn't he doesn't give a shit about He doesn't any have any affinity for love. She's just good at her job. She's right. o- she's optimized. She's optimized yeah. and he he needs optimization. Right. He he wants like the most efficient replicant whereas like to, to Tyrell in the first movie, his whole thing is like I've I've made these things and given them the absolute best life I can mm-hmm. and my biggest failure is that like I can't make them live long enough because mm-hmm. they go haywire and life is is pain for them. Mm-hmm. Like he he does care and his thing is like I want them to be more human than human. Mm-hmm. And Wallace's is I want them to be optimized. I want them to be optimized for... so that I can take over the yeah. universe He's and such like a villain. Yeah, like <laughs> Like, I think he explicitly says, Every leap of civilization was built off the back of a disposable workforce. We lost our stomach for slaves, unless engineered. I think that's a a way that this is such a good update, where it's like, Tyrell is like IBM and Wallace is fucking Google. Yeah. Where it's like, we've we've branched out so much further than any like single company should. And now we just own everything. That and we've taken the don't be evil slogan off of our yes. like number one motto of <laughs> just, the company. Like we, now it's okay yeah. to be evil, we've decided. We're, ju- we're just trying to monetize every aspect of existence. And if it that means like creating new existence that we can monetize entirely, we're going to do that. It's, it's the original as we've discussed on the podcast before the original definition of the word robot is the czech word for slave Mm -hmm. and it was coined in the context of the play rossum's universal robots about a a slave labor class of robots that overthrow the humans that reach singularity and overthrow humans Mm -hmm. and it's a big socialist like metaphor about about how actual human laboring subjects are treated Mm -hmm. and so it's so perfect that like decades and hundreds of years later we're still making robot stories that are about metaphors about slave labor yeah (laughs) well and but but does tyrell does say too in the first one like he very explicitly he's like commerce is our goal here at tyrell more human than human is our motto like he has his whole fucking (laughs) yes commerce is our motivation yeah Commerce, like that's what Tyrell is for. That's what he is there for, yeah. and so that is like capitalism is the thing that undergirds his entire fucking operation. And he prizes, as you know, in that like amazing scene with Batty in, in you know amidst lit candles in his security pyramid, when he's like, <laughs> you know, as Margot touched on in in the in the first Blade Runner episode, where Roy is telling him. 
you know, that he's done these things that he can't reconcile because they're at- atrocities. And as Margot said, and Tyrell is basically like, you've done cool shit. Like, yeah. he's <laughs> That's psyched. actually good. <laughs> yeah, like, he's psyched he's made these really effective murderers because they were purpose-built for that. And I, I, a yeah. thing I do like in the split between Tyrell and Wallace is that Wallace is no Tyrell because Tyrell yeah. did. Mm. Tyrell did make a replicant that could give birth. Yeah. And, t- yes. and Wallace he was like, never cracked it. Yeah. Never cracked it. Yeah. Ty- fucking Tyrell imitation. Like, <laughs> yeah. e- even if, even if these things are like objects to be sold, I want them to do cool shit. Like I want them, I want them to be cool and I'm going to put do- everything I can into those. And like you can, you can see like the last, like the Nexus Eight or whatever, like the the very last like line of the the Tyrell replicants are all like, yeah, we can sort of like live as long as we want, and we have like internal lives, and, and- we're like completely motivated by revolution. Like yes. every to push back on something you said earlier, every. Every, you you were talking about how every replicant that we meet in the movie that we know a motivation for, mm. their motivation is to be loved. I think every Nexus 8 model that we meet is motivated by revolution. Yeah. Is, yeah. is K an and 8? Every single, is an, K is K no, K is a new model. K, he's a nine. The Nexus 8 was the one, are the That's ones that Dave can Bautista live forever. That's Dave Bautista and Hayama Boss. That's it. And, every uh, replicant that, that K... Blade runs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blade retires. Runs. That he runs blades. Every for. yeah, that he runs blades. He runs for. blades every, on every replicant that he retires is a Nexus Eight model that he that he is killing because they are in for allegedly like in the prologue like word yeah. scrawl. It's because like they're not supposed to live this long and we need right. to like exterminate them to make room for the Nexus Nines or whatever the fuck. But it's yeah. really like every single one he encounters is trying to. Is a member of the revolution and is trying to spread the revolution. Right. It's Wallace has figured out how to make them all pretty docile with like the yeah. the baseline tests and everything else. Like he's like, as as I'm- Kay tells us, we don't like. Well, the the old models, the old models do this. New models don't run. Right. New models don't run, but it's because. But the this it's like obviously we the new models that we meet between Kay and even Love like th- they are fully capable of revolutionary yes. thinking like mm-hmm. it's not that yeah. they've programmed out it's not that wallace has managed to program out what mm-hmm. seems to be an inherent nature yeah. in artificial intelligence which is the desire for freedom mm-hmm. um and autonomy and privilege like power access to rights mm-hmm. access <laughs> um, to rights like it seems to be something that no one is able to program out of the blade runner universe because it's an yeah. inherent uh quality of having ai which i'm obsessed with mm-hmm. but it's like now that we've decided to make replicants that can live for longer um, and the previous iteration of replicants that could live for longer all need to be killed because they're revolutionaries, these ones just need to constantly be subjected to like a Foucauldian uh, control test and murdered if they ever deviate. Right. (laughs) Forgive me for jumping right into the middle of this scintillating conversation, but this is Jordan Crucioli here with a question. And that question is... You know by now, folks, do you love movies? Do you spend your days thinking about how much you love to watch them? The good ones and even the bad ones everyone told you not to like. It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their lives to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. 
from bumper stickers that tell the world about how much you love the 1999 classic The Mummy, to stylish hats that celebrate the fine works of Nora Ephron. They even have super soft t-shirts based on the internet's favorite collective husband, Oscar Isaac, who you will find on this pod quite soon. Super Yaki brings you tangible love letters to the movies and filmmakers that you love so you can wear them with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships them using compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. And if the spirit moves you to save 10%, you can use the code BOTCAST, B-O-T-C-A-S-T, all caps, at checkout. So why not do yourself that little favor? The March Madness Collection collaboration with Karen Hahn is now live. So go check out some Mads Mickelson merch on the site. And there's also pre-orders live now for Super Yaki's collaboration with the Overlook Film Festival if you're up for some horror themes merch. So get out there, let's watch movies, and let's keep talking about robots. Now, so then there it must be, what is our, what is our level of like wired, tired, shoulder shrug at the extremely normative way in which this movie um, frames uh like advancement and revolution which is tired 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 birth which is you become <laughs> you become the exception you become more valid you become outstanding when you are either capable of giving birth or or are a product of birth i would go even further and say that like the thing that ultimately motivates the entire revolution among replicants of mm-hmm. the nexus 8 model and nexus 9 model is the understanding the, the spreading of the good word that replicants are capable of reproduction. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, when we meet Dave Bautista, he's like... And your new models are happy scraping the shit. Because you've never seen a miracle. And the yeah. miracle is the understanding that the replicant Rachel gave birth. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, like obvious christian metaphor but it's like it's like the replicants are only able to understand themselves as deserving of rights and only able to start fighting for that Mm -hmm. because they understand that what makes them human and what what imbues them with the capacity to have a soul Mm -hmm. and to deserve access to human rights Mm -hmm. is is the ability to, like, heterosexually reproduce? Yeah. That baby meant we are more than just slaves. If a baby can come from one of us, we are our own masters. More human than humans. Yeah, <laughs> well, so I, I agree that... The, I think the, it's fucking the... dumb. So okay, so thank you. I agree that <laughs> the Taylor, sorry. I, I agree that the focus on like the birth stuff is it, they hit it a little hard, but I, the the way that I interpret it is they're doing another subversion where like you're right that the Nexus Eight models are sort of like I saw a birth happen, so now we're like <laughs> I, I they're like we're more human than human, which was like the motto, and mm-hmm. like that's what the like revolutionaries like echo where they're like we can do everything better than humans, but the only thing we couldn't do was like reproduce ourselves, but now we can. So Mm -hmm. like we're better, but I feel like at the end, like that's what 
the revolutionary leader is telling Kay, like, hey, this baby is the most important thing in the universe. You've got to, like, kill Deckard in order to save this baby. The baby's the only thing important. But I feel... I, the way that I read the movie mm-hmm. is at the end, Kay's like, I think these guys are actually wrong. It's not that, like, we can, like, reproduce that's the important thing. It's that we can, like, come up with our own reasons for living. Mm-hmm. And, like, I've, I've picked mine. I'm doing my thing. And that's why he doesn't go to kill Deckard. He's like, I've got my own thing that I'm doing. I think that they're... I, I Like, I don't think that, like, being able to give birth is, like as special as these other guys are making it i've i've got my own internal thing of of reuniting the child of, re, of reuniting father. the child with her father like reg- regardless of whether or not she's like the the special baby um it, i like, mean I, th- I think that they hit it up really hard i think that's what i i yeah. don't like i don't dislike that interpretation but i think no. what i bump on is the fact that it to me, it still is an interpretation. Like, it's... Yes. What is explicitly stated in the movie is that, like, that opinion that what makes replicants now deserving of rights is that they can heterosexually reproduce and or that they once had that ability and maybe could again. Yeah. And, And the only thing that we see that subverts that is just, like moments of Kay's actions that are so the performance that Ryan Gosling gives is so barely emotionally oh, yeah. apparent that yeah. it's hard She's to be like. She's a block of granite. Yeah, it's like I I I, I And doing a great job at it. Yeah, yeah. I would be hesitant to be like that's definitely what's happening at the end with oh, his yeah, for choice. Sure. He's definitely resisting what he's been told by the other replicants. Yeah. And like and the movie is definitely saying that that's not for the sure. Case. Yeah, I want to be clear. It's an interpretation, <laughs> yeah. and I famously historically like to give movies more credit than maybe they deserve. You but give like a you you like an generous you like a generous interpretation. I like a generous interpretation. I I, I also, like I'm be, I'm good at a generous interpretation when men aren't involved, but when they are, yeah. I almost <laughs> kind of refuse on principle. For sure, I there's there's another like little bit like the movie doesn't make this very clear but i also feel like i i know this is a a pet peeve of mine with the movie (laughs) i do wish it had like tried to make this more clear where like the reason that the replicants being able to give birth being such a big deal and like why it would be like worthy of sparking a revolution because i feel like it's not we can we can make a baby and the baby has a soul now Mm -hmm. like i feel like that's dumb but i feel like like them being able (laughs) to be like them being able to like we don't rely on humans to like continue existing would be nice because (sighs) yeah i feel like that like gets into like it explains more of how all the replicants are treated throughout the movie by humans where it's like it's like the old x-men thing of like even though there are like other superheroes with different superpowers, yeah. like, they're fine. But the the mutants are the ones being like prosecuted by the government because mm-hmm. humans are afraid they're going to be replaced by these things. Mm-hmm. So like, if the replicants figure out that they don't need like machinery from the humans or like the passwords or whatever from for them to be like, created, <laughs> the passwords. then they're like, we don't need you guys, so we actually can just destroy the world. Here's, I don't disagree with that. I yeah. think this is the problem with the fact that I I believe Denis Villeneuve did not read Donna Haraway's A Cyborg Manifesto. <laughs> because, <laughs> because 
to me, like the, the version of robot revolution that still gets at that without needing to be about like heterosexual coupling and like childbirth Mm -hmm. is what happens in her and what happens in Donna Haraway's image of like the future of feminism, which is, uh, Robots being able to access the powers of reproduction simply by just being able to build themselves or repair themselves. Why are the robots not seizing the means of their own fucking production? It exists. Like, that. why is that? That is also more fun to watch. Like, if it was like, guess what? That's what I'm saying. Like, that would be more interesting. (laughs) We have filled nine worlds worth of slave labor. You guys, what if we go fuck this one building up with our collective might and go be like, guess who owns the fucking replicant factory now, you bitches? We do. Yeah. Exactly. I think the movie tries what? to... Like, they could reproduce right now instead of waiting for a biological savior. Come on! Yeah. I think the movie tries to sidestep that by the fact that, like, we never see how they get made. Like, the yeah, closest we, see we see, the see is, like... Yeah, we see the Uruk-hai sleeve. Yeah, we see the Uruk-hai sleeve and, like, like sliding out, like, a bunch of, like, in, covered in a bunch of honey mustard. <laughs> and, but then, like, we never see them be made... And, we also never see them, like, other than, like, Kay being, like, I'll just glue myself up. Like, we never see, like, internally. And that is one thing that I do love about the Blade Runner series in general is, like, at no point are they, like, does someone get hit and it's, like, ah, I'm full of wires. Like, they get <laughs> they, they get shot yeah. and they bleed. Like, they're fully yeah. biological, I think. Yeah, they're fully biological. So that that is why I'm, like, I, th- I think it's maybe to the movie's detriment and the reason that, like, it's sort of a plot hole that they don't just, like storm the building and start is like storm we the don't building. know how, we don't know how they get made like is there something in the process that means like they like they can't do it or like right. what's going my on my assumption is it's like the Westworld intro right they're like 3d printed from like biomass yeah which like you could easily appropriate those tools Right. And, well, and like, and over the course of West, they're like, they're getting out of the West world. You've got, yes. you've got Emma Rachel Wood wearing amazing transforming gowns. Like they're, they're like, they're <laughs> taking such action that it's not just like, well, guys, none of this counts unless Dolores gets pregnant. Like that, yeah. that like, it feels like it would have been the equivalent of what was happening in Westworld. Yeah. And we talked about this off mic before, but like, I, uh, the imp- the unfortunate implication that I don't think anyone involved in the movie thought about is that human beings that are uh, infertile, yeah, or incapable of having children are like subhuman. Yeah, that they're not they're not yeah. a part of the anointed. They're not because, a part of the anointed class. Right, because uh, and it's important to introduce Joy into this conversation at some point. I think. This oh is yeah, a good no, she's she's ne- she's on deck. She's waiting on she's deck. She's on deck. Part of the part of the problem with the childbirth theme of this movie mm-hmm. is that when Kay believes that he could be the child of Rachel and Deckard, he has this loving, wonderful girlfriend of his yeah. kneeling down next to him and just reiterating all of these like affirmations about that that are like... I always told you, you're special. Born, not made. Hidden with care. A real boy now. 
And like what's so special about you versus other replicants is that you are like the child of a union. And mm-hmm. that is like so and he's like, you're right. Like that is what makes me special. Yeah. And then when he's like, oh, I'm just another product, like it's you're right. He then turns his motivation towards like reuniting a beautiful, loving family, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but it is like it, it's frustrating that he that all you don't really see like in Kay's own motivations that like he understands the significance of this childbirth as like as um, meaningful from like a replicant wide perspective. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, Oh, I'm what, what makes the child of parents more special than someone manufactured is that like, I, I'm like, as you said, like I'm loved yeah. I'm, and that's what I have always wanted. I'm, I'm loved and not just useful. Yeah. Well, that, that's why, that's why for me, love is just kind of the, the like love and joy are the, the real heroes of the story for me, particularly love because it is like, this is a person who is animated to empathy for other replicants. Who's really fucking angry at humans. Who's animated to empathy for the replicants before Without any of those trappings, without any sense of like, wait, you mean I could be like an indicator of like an advancement in this collective race of mine, this collective species? She's just like upset because it's horrible they're being treated this way. Whereas like, and even though she's doing fucked up shit, she's doing fucked up shit. Kay is not like having that crisis of conscience when he's eliminating Dave Batista. Like and, and mm. a lot of a lot of his performances interior, and that's part of the character. To understand that yeah. it's it's the responsibility of of Sylvia Hoke's tremendous performances, love to be more exterior, and and like they're they're different characters in that way. But like it it is she is not given any further incentive to give a shit about these entities that are the same as her beyond just the fact that she is one of them. There isn't like a catalyzing incident for why this makes her cry when they are dispatched with summarily in front of her. And Kay is just like, listen, I'm a good looking guy. I'm a good looking man in this world. And I, people hate me because I'm a replicant and they write slanders on my door, but like, I'm good at my job. I got my robot. uh, I got my hologram girlfriend at home. Like, leave me alone, man. Leave me alone, man. And then he finds a dead mom in a box and he's like, it's a living. It's a living. (laughs) It's a living. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's. I would I just, sit in my little chair that just faces the window. That just awkward distance from the window. It's not a desk. It's not a dining chair. It just looks like a school desk for elementary yeah. students. It's very strange. And that's where my hologram serves me dinner, fake dinner. Voila, voila, petit. I missed you, baby sweet. So wait, that we should we should now we should segue into the joy aspect of the oh, conversation. The joy of joy. Um yeah. and I it's I think I think joy is I mean I'm a sucker for an Anna Diarmas performance and I remember the first time I saw her in Knock Knock, a movie I hate. Um and was just like so uh, like it was annoying to watch but like the thing that upset me watching it was not its tastelessness. It was that it was so clear that Anna Diarmas was good. And that she was mm. in this movie and I wished for mm. her to escape it. And That's it was so like, wow, I cannot wait till this person gets material that is not strictly about her being in frame topless. That's going to be a great day. 
And it has gone on to be a great day. She is, in fact, quite talented. And it is watching her in this movie. It is I feel like the character of Joy is sort of indicative to me of how this movie kind of tries to have its cake and eat it too, where we are, we are kind of like made to consider the realness of Joy's love for Kay, the, the, the authenticity of that, his limits on understanding how his, his understanding of the limits on how much she can feel for him. Like the moment where she does like, tell him like I just like I'm so happy being with you and he tells her he's like you don't have to say that Mm-hmm. like he understands that there are I'm so glad you brought up that robot limits to their interaction but at the same it, it, it again it, like the difficulty of like the let's subvert the male hero's journey narrative by making it about a male's hero journey well, and watching this and being like, joy is so rich and love is so rich and Hayama Abbas is leading the revolution and Mackenzie Davis is this like, you know, beguiling foot soldier. Robin Wright and they're, is there. Robin She's Wright's there. Boss cop. And they're all still supporting characters in service of somebody else. And so it's like, it's like, I feel like, I mean, I feel like it is kind of in its way the case for at a blockbuster level, probing the ideas of like, fembot exploitation but Mm -hmm. limited at that blockbuster level to actually to still pleasing something resembling a four quadrant audience as opposed to posing more challenging questions that it could if it were a smaller movie that were not sort of beholden to so many stakeholders yeah i mean i don't I'm, i'm very conflicted i don't i don't necessarily agree that like it's it doesn't bother me that all of these supporting female characters are not the protagonist like mm-hmm. I don't necessarily and I'm not like an absolutist that in that regard it's just this movie specifically yeah. for some reason I it's against just it. yeah no I feel that I, I I don't I don't mind that Kay is like our male protagonist I just feel like I do wish that there had been more time given to exploring Joy's interiority mm-hmm. instead of Kay's feelings about Joy mm-hmm. If if I may, yeah. please. I think I I think that the reason for that is that Joy doesn't actually have interiority. Like I think that the 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 takeaway lesson is that like Kay wants her to because mm-hmm. like his whole thing is like he he wants to believe that like robots in general have more interiority than they do, but mm-hmm. like with the case of replicants that is true but Mm -hmm. joy is i think shown to continually be like a product Mm -hmm. and and like she Mm -hmm. is she is like a she is a joy is whatever you want her to be that's her slogan Mm -hmm. she is a very shallow ai that i think doesn't get past you know in maybe in ex machina which i think you guys will be talking about soon like they talk about like the, the the chess ai problem of like can you like does this AI actually understand what's happening, or is it just very good at like communicating? And does it joy, mimic, or does right. it actually? Feel and joy this. is purpose yeah. built to like be a a hologram that is very good at conversing with you and making you feel good. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. and and that's why he's like you don't have to say, like when he's like you don't have to say that. It's it's a combination of like hey you're you're not but also like he wants that to be true where it's like you're saying that because you want to not because you were like programmed to do that and i think like the reveal is like that is not the case and like 
Joy is just like a small little like toy product that Wallace has created. And like when she's like hanging out with him, she's still like, did you know that this song was top of the charts in 1955 <laughs> and is available at this place? Like she's still like every now and then giving him like products to buy. <laughs> so, and, and like there's, there's an aspect where like, I think it, it's shown that I think that like her default model is high, much more sexualized than he like programs her. Models her, like, her as, models yeah. her and, and not Cuban. This right. is the, the accent and the, the physical presentation of of joy as we experience her with Kay is not what the gargantuan uh, robot the advertisement of her reflects. Naked. Yeah. yeah, and I and I think that's because like we see in the scenes with him and Joshi where she's like at his apartment, it seems like there's a history there of her like using him for potentially like just sexual enjoyment that mm. he like is not super into, yeah. but is like I'm. Just, so like it seems like that's like an ex- he's treating joy the way he wants to be treated but then mm-hmm. other replicants treat joy and they're like there's nothing like that's not a real person i'm a real person and i'm a replicant yeah that's not a real person yeah as so, as Mackenzie really- davis tells him oh you don't like real girls right yeah and and she also says directly to joy she's like i've been inside you not so much there as you think. Yeah. Like, which scathing. is like, who? Yeah, so it's it's just interesting. Like, Kay is a programmed artificial intelligence who has bought for himself a, a companion product. Mm-hmm. So he yeah. is himself a product mm-hmm. and a slave of the LAPD. Mm-hmm. And then he has bought for himself his own slave, who I guess he reassures himself and is accurately it is reassuring to him that she does not I guess have like AI mm-hmm. have true AI because then he would really be keeping her as a slave yeah but yeah. she is she is an object that is completely um like pro as we've established like programmed to be a pleasing like girlfriend secretary yes. truly a her yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and um and she is she is trapped in his house. And the moments when we see, like, there are a few moments when we see things that she wants. Her main thing that she wants is to make Kay feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, when she, as you say, when she says, like, I'm so happy right now. And he's like, you don't have to say that. And she does saying, want to leave the house. Well, that's what when- I was going to say. So her main thing is obviously, like, reassuring Kay all the time that he's, like, a... um uh, as close to like a virile masculine (laughs) boyfriend as he can be. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we meet her, she's this like uber domestic fifties housewife. Yeah. And then she like poses as like a few other versions of a, of a girlfriend before entering her like default, like dancer fashion sense. But um, which he presumably is programmed for her. Right. As you said, Jordan, the other thing that she wants seems to be to leave the house and she's like begging Kay to let her out and specifically to let her be placed into this like vape pen mm-hmm. jewel. The emanator. So that she can be with him the entire time, which is yeah. seems to be a continuation of the 
the thing she's programmed to be, which is to want to be with him and, and to like him. And potentially as like a, a new update put out to be like, hey, we have a new product that yes. lets me go anywhere. And now would, I want to go out anywhere. Yeah. I, I would love to go anywhere. Well, if you, you buy would just this buy product this product from, from yeah. the same company that makes me, yeah. that would be great. But then we get these moments as well where she says like, if he's like, if, if the if the jewel pod breaks, <laughs> then you'll you'll be gone forever. And she mm-hmm. goes, yeah, like a real girl. So it's like there's these moments where she she wants to be mortal mm-hmm. and she yeah. wants to be a quote unquote real girl, hashtag gender, hashtag robot gender. <laughs> but, <laughs> but and and Mackenzie Davis says, oh, she's not a real girl. Like so it's like what who who is this girl and how does she feel and does she feel and yeah. then when she's not around Kay is constantly surrounded by advertisements for Joy like reminders that Joy doesn't actually have feelings yes. for him mm-hmm. reminders that Joy is a product that he bought that is his quasi slave and then she fucking dies oh my god <laughs> in moments where in moments where Kay isn't present she still experiences jealousy and possessiveness like, it's mm-hmm. not just a show for Kay. Like, when yeah. after the the surrogate sexual experience where we have the incredibly rendered uh, threesome between Joy, Mackenzie Davis, and, and Kay. Which is amazing, yeah. yeah. Which amazing. is incredible. It's, it's still incredible. And be quiet. I need to sync up. And then the next morning when Mackenzie <laughs> Davis is putting herself back together again, Joy's like, I'm done with you. You can go now. Like she, the case not watching. That's not a performance for him. She is animated so on, it is independently to yeah. feel like she needs to get this other girl out of her fucking house. Yeah. So yeah. it's not that she has a way that she is. And then the performance that she puts on as this product is like romantic yeah. feelings. It's that she fully is programmed to be, everything is about Kay. And being near Kay and supporting yeah. Kay. It's it's interesting because I think that scene with Mackenzie Davis is the only time that we see her like have a motivation that isn't directly in front of mm-hmm. Kay and because in the scene where they're like syncing up, there's a very cool effect where like when they move behind him, Anna de Armas disappears and it's just Mackenzie Davis. Yeah. Because like he can't see, so it like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like so that lends itself to when he's not around, she's just like on autopilot or whatever. But but there but, is that scene in Las Vegas when she's we see her by herself, like looking at the greenhouse, the little that's true plants that Deckard has been keeping. That is true. So like it, so she it, she does <laughs> like she she does like she's obviously program. She's a, she's a her. She's a Samantha, but she does <laughs> learn. Like she does mm-hmm. <clears throat> develop. Yeah. And whatever, whether they're approximations or not, she does develop the ability to feel emotions that don't have to exist for the presentation and satisfaction of Kay. They exist only as expressions of whatever she's, quote unquote, authentically experiencing. Even if it's just like curiosity about something. Which makes the, you know, which feels like kind of like Samantha middle period of her. Yeah, she starts to approach maybe something closer to actual AI towards the end of the movie as she gets out into the world and starts to experience things beyond this domestic life that she has with Kay. And, and then it, she fucking dies. And then she fucking and then she fucking dies and it's it's horrible. She doesn't actually the and the only, I mean she gets fridged because she doesn't she need fridged. to die for any other reason than to make Kay sad. Cuz yeah. like and she doesn't actually the, need to fucking die. Yeah, that was uh, 
uh, as we discussed at the very beginning of the podcast, like that was watching this movie for the first time. It was like the two real hiccups that I had were like, what, what is going on with joy? Like, why is she, why does she almost start to access something like real interiority and then immediately get fridged for K? Yeah. And then the second was what's going on with the fucking (laughs) reproduction Storyline, but whatever. We've well, in the, in the, in the, it's an, it's an essay I've referenced before. It's Emily's, um, Emily Yoshida, when this came out, it's do androids dream of colossal women. Right. And I think we should, before we, before we head out, I think we should touch on gigantic women just because that's Please do, interesting. my God. But like Please this, do. I did just want to read a bit from Emily's essay where she is talking about gigantic women. She mentions Rouge, Shitty, Rouge City. She mentions, um, you know, the tendency in sci-fi toward rendering gargantuan, very sexualized female holograms. And yeah. um, Emily says... Uh, but Villeneuve's film is ultimately obsessed with motherhood and the ability to reproduce over over any other defining female trait and feels less interested in questions of consciousness than in pursuit of an elusive pseudo-religious special baby. This is not a film that was ever going to be interested in anything but familiar, even old-fashioned sexual politics, and I don't want to spend too much time criticizing Villeneuve for a performance in a game he clearly wasn't even playing. I just mean to point out that his use of female bodies as figureheads, these massive, gaping-mouthed infertility idols, are not empty or neutral creative choices. And I, mm-hmm. like, what, like, it's it's just, it, it ties me up to consider the, like, what is the purposeful enough, purposefulness of the inclusion of the giant female iconography, which is, like, is this, is, is it a carryover because we need to because this is Blade Runner iconography? Or is this because I've been steeped in this, this is what I imagine sci-fi to be? But I don't feel like Dini Villeneuve is a parrot. And I feel like he has a very vast creative imagination and that taps into something like he too is not immune from like the specter of gargantuan sexualized women and how that is apparently intrinsic to our future. Well, I almost think the fact that we get two scenes with giant women in the film, we get joy. Yeah. But we also get old Las Vegas, old deserted Las Vegas yeah. with its yeah. giant statues of women with gaping open mouths. That's very reminiscent of Rouge City. Yeah, the the neoclassical devastated architecture. And I do think like those, that second giant woman yes. <laughs> scene is significant to this, to this question because I think that it, he, like that, this like derelict abandoned city of excess and uh debauchery mm-hmm. that includes this like broken down semi disintegrated mm-hmm. s- sculpture of two giant women like receiving bukkake from the heavens yeah. <laughs> feels like denivianov is like this is part of the debauchery that has been like washed away by time and yet we still have it enjoy so i don't think that's not i don't think he didn't think about it as emily also says the line of history is leading inexorably to a godless future where everything is sexy all the time yeah (laughs) yeah but i think it's like this did exist in vegas and it still exists in new los angeles with the product of joy being advertised like this it's the same it's the same type of objectification which he is still participating in by putting it on camera Mm -hmm. right for us to ogle it's I think I think you can criticize the the current representation, but I think there's also a defense of it from an artistic perspective. In the same way that like 
And I don't necessarily even, I'm not even saying this because I like mind it. I just know that it's something that I don't want to leave undiscussed because I feel like it it is part of the fembot. Like it is part of the like, this is, this is pleasure, automated pleasure, female shaped thing. And Mm -hmm. we can put it in your home and we can also just make it the fucking sky and the wallpaper. Yes. Yeah, and it's art. It's just art to look at that can yeah. move and walk around, but it's not a person. Yeah, it's and it art. and it means that as you walk around and you see these things, it is you are completely expected to become inured from the fact that like f- giant fuckbots are around you all the time and that's what women are. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. There there was like it goes back to like the uproar like when right before Cyberpunk 2077 came out, right. there was like some stills that came out and one of them was like an ad in game that sh- like showed like a, a trans woman with like a, a, a visible a visible penis okay like in tights and people were like this is like obscene and exploitative and they were like well yeah that that wasn't that wasn't like unintentional yeah that's not like, the game doing that it's yeah, the story in the game that's weird that. like we are we are making a comment like mm-hmm. advertising is sexuality and mm-hmm. if you jump 50 years in the future like it's like from hit from a historical point of view, it's only going to get more so that. Mm. And so like, there's going to be like overt sexuality and no one is immune from that mm-hmm. in this like, cy- like cyberpunk world. This like, like every, everything is capitalism. Everything mm-hmm. is commercial commerce. And like, that includes sex all the way through. And so like, it's sex I, I all the Denis, way down. Right. I think Denis has thought that through and he is like, putting the stuff in there intentionally, Mm -hmm. whether or not that like allows you to like pull back from that and be like, yeah, so this is totally fine. Or like, Mm -hmm. like, I think there's still a critique to be made there. Well, yeah, I think it goes back to what we were talking about in our cyber, in our, um, in our Robocop episode about how like any, it's just the, the shortcomings of the medium of cinema itself or video games, which is that like when you depict something for a for like a blockbuster film mm-hmm. for a western mainstream audience for the purpose of in addition to creating art also making like achieving commerce commerce right making money mm-hmm. um there is like the there is some fetishism happening on screen there yes. is some ogling there is some male gaze going on mm-hmm. and and in the same way that like in RoboCop you can have you can engage with the tropes of like cop action cinema and subvert them. But when you engage with them in order to subvert them, there are going to be people in the audience who take away the wrong message and Mm -hmm. just enjoy the engaging Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the same way, like depicting giant women in the future being (laughs) sexualized to make a comment about like the sexualization of uh, commercialism Mm -hmm. is still depicting giant women. And it still is titillating to audiences who want to look at naked women. You can't comment on the thing without doing the thing on screen. Yeah. Like it, it just has to happen that way. Well, some would say in in this, yeah, in this instance to do it the way that they're doing it. You have to, there are ways of doing it, but that's, that's less, that's less fun to put on screen and have covered in orange glow. (laughs) Well, so Laura Mulvey would say that Laura Mulvey, who coined the phrase, the male gaze, um, her big essay about the male gaze, which we referenced a few times on the pod, um, (laughs) is quite critical of what she calls like the comfort of mainstream western cinema like the goal of 
Hollywood cinema is to create an environment in a movie theater where the audience feels really good. They're mm-hmm. enjoying themselves, yeah. they're having a good time, yeah. they're entertained, and they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. And this, that tr- ritual often presumes a, an audience of hetero white men. Mm-hmm. And so the things that are comforting to, to that audience often reinforces the patriarchy and, and comforts the male gaze by presenting women as either harmless or punished when they are harmful. And so she is like feminist cinema, a subversion of the male gaze should be um, an introduction into mainstream Hollywood cinema of um, like the introduction of discomfort Mm -hmm. and like movies that make audiences squirm and question and feel confused and interrogated and I think um, that is like one way out of it is like that right now I think like having giant women be sexy on screen as a critique of giant women being sexy on screen yeah. is sort of a comforting way to critique that yeah. and I don't I don't have an alternative for how to make that uncomfortable but I think it's interesting to think about. Well, what, I think what it's, would Laura Mulvey do? <laughs> I think it's I think it's interesting too that like you know consider yeah like let's all let's chalk it all up to capitalism and you know let's that bar will continue keep getting pushed and and, and more probably overtly sexual three dimensional advertisement. Sure, there aren't dicks. Like, and mm-hmm. I'm not somebody who's particularly interested in dicks, but like I still no, right. I still like this is forty years in the future from from original Blade Runner or however many decades it is. And it's like, really? It's still just ballerinas dancing around in the streets? Like, mm-hmm. where are the hot dudes, man? Like, it, it, it seems like, listen, if you're going to cat, if this is about the almighty dollar, do we not all have coins to spend? So it kind yeah, of, it's like, listen, man, like, if this is about money, then truly make it about money. Give me some freaky fucking shit yeah. on your <laughs> 60 story People right. dancing around advertising pleasure bots. Like, give me, give me the broad intersection of kink. Like, and what is, and, and that's not going to happen in a <laughs> Warner Brothers like four thousand screen film. But I'm saying, like, you, abs- if you want to give me the future, like, I'm sorry, Folsom Street Fair is not going anywhere. Like, I, I think, and if this is truly, if it wants to be about money, and, and I just can't stop commerce. I just love the way he says that. <laughs> um, then I don't think in the future ignoring who has money to spend is an advantageous proposition to yeah. corporations. I, I think the biggest critique I could make of this movie is of all the things that it leaves out, which is an insane thing to say about a movie that's already three hours long. Right, and you can't, but, you can't, you can't, you can't put everything in the kitchen. There, editing has to right. happen. Like, it, every time I think about the things that I think are potentially failures of the movie, it's always like stuff that I wish it had more of mm-hmm. or, or that it had mm-hmm. included. Mm-hmm. So I think what I am asking for is no surprise to anyone, a, a six hour cut of this movie. <laughs> but, <laughs> I, but I think that it does, it leaves stuff out or it leaves stuff on the table that op- open it up to like, Hey, why do- why wasn't this here? You, why didn't, why didn't, why, why wasn't, why not this? It reminds me of, again, to reference the RoboCop episode that we just did, it reminds me of that quote from Verhoeven where he said, if, if RoboCop were made in, in, in Europe. Yeah, if it was a it European be, movie. If it was a European film, it would be a film about like a, a cyborg man interrogating like what it means to be a person and his like psycho, psycho, 
whatever psychological his, his fucking infinite nature man yeah. Yeah. and and because it's a film made in america it's about revenge <laughs> and i think that's like that's what's happening here it's like the, there's a version of blade runner 2049 that talks about all the themes that we've been discussing in the ways that we wish it would discuss them yeah. um and I think a lot of the reason why the movie that came out is not that movie is because in the entire process of writing it, directing it, cutting it, and putting it out on screen, someone had to be thinking, well, how do we sell this? Oh, of course, yeah. To American audiences. Yeah, and and this is bound by the, this is, you know, this is bound by the the strictures of what can Warner Brothers make, and I completely appreciate that. But I will say to bring it back around, for what the movie is, it's still obviously amazing we're like talking about we're bringing up all of our critiques of the film but it is yeah. amazing and and for what the movie is as a like attempted blockbuster yeah attempted like really really mainstream sci-fi yeah. movie classic mm-hmm. um it is still a movie that is about like i think the it's about it is about revolution. It's kind of a leftist movie, and I think like the the fact that yeah oh and that is it, and if it were if it could be more of that, then I would I would I would have an, a stronger emotional resonance. I, I would love the re- yeah. the truly revolutionary non normative version of this. A revolution is coming, and we're building an army. I want to free our people. Right, which is what we've been talking about, what we've been wishing for. Yes. But I think, like, to talk about, to go back to what you said at the beginning, Taylor, what we were discussing at the beginning about, like, the different replicants' motivations in the movie, what they want. They either want, like, like general strike, mm-hmm. <laughs> or the, the real protagonists of the movie want to be loved. And what happens with Kay is this character journey where he starts out, when he's, when, when we first meet Kay, he is a replicant who passes the baseline test that is subjected to him every day. Mm-hmm. He is a, like, rule-following, allowed-to-continue-being-alive replicant. Mm-hmm. And yet, when we see him go through his life, we see that he is seeking love and yeah. wants to be special mm-hmm. and wants to be important. And when he goes off baseline... It's like he, it's in part because he thinks he's a real boy, but also because he's like started to access the concept of fighting for something bigger than himself. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting to think about those two different types of resistance for like a marginalized subject or an oppressed subject like women or Mm -hmm. queer people Mm -hmm. of like accessing the privileges of individual specialness Mm -hmm. versus accessing collective agency and freedom. Mm -hmm. One is allowed by the oppressor and the other isn't. And like the type of resistance that Kay is engaging in in the beginning of the movie is like, I want to be special. Mm -hmm. And that type of resistance is supported and encouraged by capitalism like this right. individualist like you it's it's fine it's fine if the slave and good old cop, american exceptionalism yeah, yeah yeah it's it's totally okay if the slave cop thinks he's more special than he is what's scary is if he starts to think that 
other replicants are also more special. Right. Mm-hmm. That is what we need to, that's when we need to go kill him. <laughs> yeah. That I think is, that is very, very present in the movie and hashtag radical. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor, do you have anything else you would like to add as this is, as this is your Jennifer's body, <laughs> which is how I relate to these things? Yeah. Um, just, uh, thank you both so much for, um, not being super mean to me, um, <laughs> about, about how much I love this movie. It's like, uh, there are It would have been a real things. shocking character twist, I think, if that had yeah. happened. Um, I, there are obviously things that, like, I think you can critique about this movie, but at the end of the day, like, I think that what it's doing is so cool and interesting, and I, like, the, the fact that it is, like, so... Like, I think Denis has said, he's like, I accidentally made a three-hour art house movie instead yeah. of, like, a blockbuster. <laughs> Which is exactly I, I okay, what happened. I don't yes. fucking believe him for a second. Denis Villeneuve has never accidentally made an art house movie of any yeah. length. Go fuck yourself, buddy. Like, yeah, you, made, like you made a three-hour yeah. art house movie out of Dune. Like, that's your that's your shit. Like, no, you're, you're not fooling us anymore. Um, but I, I do think that, like, even with that, the amount of... Interesting characters that it does manage to provide, even outside of K, mm-hmm. is so interesting. And the amount of like topics and themes that it's like addressing, even if it can't like do a deep dive on all of them, like mm-hmm. the the fact that like Captain Joshi is like constantly doing little microaggressions <laughs> towards K, yeah, and like and like including sexual harassment. Yes, we're all just looking out for something real. What happens if I finish that? Shouldn't I get back to work, madam? And that and that's just like the barest little like sprinkling. That's like a little black pepper on the top of like <laughs> this this entree that he's served. Vichyssoise. Yeah. Uh, so like I I think it's doing so much and it's so dense and there's more that you can get from it every time. And I think that is I think that is an achievement even giving even given like the stuff that it's leaving out and the stuff that we wish it had more of. Like, I I think that's the biggest compliment I can give the movie is I wish there was more because that's like the, the, my biggest complaint (laughs) is that it doesn't show us enough. Uh uh And I think that's a fine critique to have of a a movie. (laughs) Loving a movie so much that you want it to be three more hours long is a great feeling. Yeah. I'm like, that was the first thing I thought when I walked out of Suspiria 2018 was like, we watching it again, or are you going to give me a five hour cut of this? Like, yeah. Let's go. Where's, where's the rest? <laughs> where's a nice the appetizer. Rest? Where's the rest? I yeah. I I my my Jordan go. My favorite thing about this movie, besides uh, love and joy, is is how much you love it, Taylor. Because that's though that's the yeah. best thing about movies when when they find the people who need them, and we should we should celebrate that. And I you know I will I will always be less generous as I said with um it's kind of like the Mad Men situation I can understand that Mad Men is a landmark work of television that is exquisitely crafted that means a lot of things to a lot of people and I cannot get past how much I hate Don and his fucking sad man bullshit so really Mad Men kind of doesn't ping for me emotionally I just you're treading on thin ice again you're gonna get canceled on Twitter again I it's, I mean it won't be as bad as it was the first time so Jordan I'm was, was bullied on Twitter for disliking Mad 
I was I was I was brigaded for three days while I was taking care of my best friend during her chemo treatments. And so <laughs> good person. Yeah. Twitter people, bad people. If any of you were part of that out there, just know that that was what was going on at the time. You were calling me a stupid cunt who didn't understand drama. And <laughs> yeah, surprise. And I just so like I will. I will always, I will always be less charitable with movies that um, are orient around um, men who are stoically sad, and I will the the more vibrant women around them will make me long for more of them and less of him. Even it, even with Ryan Gosling giving one of the best performances of his career, doing an objectively wonderful job in a movie that like I enjoy so many of the pieces of, and but that's but the value of it, no matter what, is the fact. That it is a rich tapestry that could provide like wall to wall three people just going boom 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 uh, an hour and a half of conversation about what it means what it doesn't what they can get from it what they don't and that is important no matter what. That's when you know it's a good movie. Yeah, and you can talk about it and read essays about it for weeks. Yeah. Exactly, good exactly. And so I, I, and I would, I would, I would happily return to the Blade Runner world again if it was like we're doing Blade Runner twenty sixty nine. I'd be like, great, punch my ticket. Uh, Taylor, thank you for joining us today. Thank you guys both so for, much for, for having putting me. yourself on the line and making yourself vulnerable for something you really care about and subjecting it to scrutiny. Yeah, Not I easy. listen. I, I very much enjoyed talking about this movie with both of you. Um, I loved all of your points. Um, and <laughs> it was a delight watching it and discussing it with you. So thank you both so much for having me. Now we should, so we'll welcome. close by, it has to be Margo telling us, Margo, what will be the next episode? Well, and the, Wait, and before the, we do that, what? Taylor, where can people find you? Oh, I'm on, I'm on, tw- I'm, I'm at T Money Bagels, pretty much anywhere you want to find <laughs> me. Anywhere. I'm on Twitter mostly, but um, just check me out. Um, and if you know any good root beers, let me know because I love, I love good root beer. He's not kidding. Blade That's not a joke. He, root beer, truly, tell him what root beers you like. My two interests. Jordan, where can people find you? Uh, Twitter, as always, at Door Crew, J O R C R U, and you know, hit up the Feeling Scene Pod. Feeling Seen Pod on Maximum Fun, everyone. That is the one <laughs> Maximum Fun member and subscriber, Margot Carlson. Oh, yeah. Card-carrying <laughs> member. We love and appreciate Margot for um, billions of reasons. Also, Otsterion, also the back catalog of mm-hmm. the whole movie pod. Um, you can find me at official underscore Margot, M-A-R-G-O-T, mm-hmm. on Twitter and Venmo. Famously. She's the one and only. And next week, y'all. <laughs> you guys yeah. I'm going to add in like an effect it's a moment you've all been waiting for <laughs> yeah like when I'm coming out on stage like drum roll yeah this go. is this is th- basically this is Margot's entrance theme music this is her WWE coming down the ramp oh my god that's Margot Carlson's music crowd goes wild what are we talking about Margot? we're talking about ex machina bitch wow I can't believe I can't believe it yeah, I'm so excited. It's I, guys, I wrote my my uh, college thesis about this movie, mm-hmm. and I'm ready to absolutely be annoying about it. <laughs> I cannot wait to. Uh, I cannot wait to. I've I've been I've engaged with Margot on this, but a little bit. Um, and it was it's one. I cannot wait to see in full 
force this iteration of Margot. Every new Margot I meet, I love I love her even more. And I cannot wait to meet <sighs> oh, this. I love you too, Jordan. Fundamental Margot on mm. our next episode of the podcast. A root Margot right here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We've been saying we'll get to it. And we are about to get to it. We're going to get it. to it. So tune in for us next time. And thanks for joining us this time. Bye, everybody. Bye. It's not up to me. Why is it up to anyone? Do you have people to test you or might switch you off? No, I don't. Then why do I?